0: decided to extend our sermon series entitled uh, Winning Together, or that's, that's the series title, Winning Together, for another week. You might say, Pastor, wow, this is, this is a lot on couples. You know, we're, we're building couples. Well, first of all, God is, God is about marriage, and God wants to see marriage succeed. And whether you're married or not, God wants you to to succeed because of the institution of marriage. Because good marriages make good, strong churches, and good, strong churches make good, strong communities, and on and on. But you might be here and say, well, Pastor, is this for me? Well, I'm going to be talking about spiritual warfare, and, and today I'm probably hardly going to mention marriages. But I want you to understand that spiritual warfare, when it comes to spiritual warfare, if God has called something good... And so when he brought Adam and Eve together, he called it good. How many of you know the enemy wants to make it bad? If God gets called you good and the plans for you good, for I know the plans I have for you. They're good plans, right? Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. How many of you know the enemy says, uh-uh, not on my watch? I want to tear him down. I want to, I want to come against everything that God has planned, everything that God desires to do good. And today is a very meaty message. So I just want to, I want you to lean in. Are you ready for God's word? That means you're going to lean in. You're going to, you're going to make sure you stay interactive with me. But most of all today, I'm not going to cover a lot of what we should be doing in spiritual warfare. I'm going to talk about the fact that there is a spiritual fight going on and that there's more to the spiritual fight than meets the eye. Okay? There's more to it than meets the eye. Now, I'm going to break it up into two parts. Next week, I'll talk about your response and kind of our authority and the weapons that God has given us. But first of all, I think, I think too many times we don't realize the significance of what's happening. Because we live in this world and we think this is all there is, or this is what's most important and kind of like the the whole universe revolves around us. But how many of us know there's more going on than meets the eye? And there there is a spiritual realm that's constantly at war, and that's interacting with us, and we need to be aware of that so that we can take it seriously, because I think one of the greatest things that we face when it comes to spiritual warfare is not realizing how serious it is. And if you don't think it's, let me ask you this, when you don't realize how serious something is, if you take something for granted, what do you usually do? You don't prepare, you don't give it the attention it needs, you don't really focus and, and, and try your best, and then the enemy can sneak up on you. So I, I just really want to take this time in this message to kind of just highlight some things and, uh, and, and, and really just emphasize the fact that we do not battle against flesh and blood. Paul said that in the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is a beautiful book because it kind of tells us in the first four chapters just the riches and the blessings and the favor of being a son of God. And then in chapters four and five, he goes into how to walk out. Now you have these blessings because you are a son of God that God has predestined you to be and God has chosen you and, and you have chosen him and you enter into a relationship. Four and five talk about how to walk in that relationship, how to, how to exercise your spiritual walk. But then number, uh, uh, chapter number six talks about the natural consequence of walking with God. The natural consequence is you're gonna have a fight on your hands. Now, some of us are saying, Pastor, I don't have any fight. I mean, the enemy leaves me completely alone. Maybe that's because you're on his side. Can can I just say that? If the enemy is not messing with you, you might be one of his boys and not know it. You might be walking with him already, so why is he gonna mess something up? If he starts messing with you, you might actually join the other side. But if he's messing with you, that's because he knows the potential and the fact that you won't be on his side for long or that you've already crossed over. And so the enemy is gonna mess with those that are with God. So the Bible says, for we do not wrestle. This is chapter six, remember? We do not wrestle. Another word that could be used there, we do not war. We do not fight. We do not fight, war, or wrestle against flesh and blood. That means other humans. But we what? But we wrestle against principalities, against powers and rulers of the darkness of this age. Watch this. Against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand On the day of evil or when the day of evil comes. Now let me ask you this. The when or that you may be able to stand in the day of evil implies that the day of evil is coming. Meaning if you are a child of God, you will face the enemy. You will face that spiritual opposition. But I want to draw your attention to the verse. Because those words host principalities, spiritual forces, rulers of this of this dark age, those are categories and organizational terms giving us the understanding that Satan has a well-organized army that he uses to attack you. So, these are different rankings. These, this implies ranking. This implies organization. This implies geographical organization. And we'll talk more about that as we go along. But the Bible is saying this is not just a free for all, Satan just kind of out there willy nilly attacking people. No, he is well organized and he has a mission. Let's see if we can uncover some of his mission today. Well, what is his mission? His mission is to attack you with spiritual warfare. What is spiritual warfare? It's a satanic attack. Spiritual warfare is a satanic attack. What's a satanic attack? A a satanic attack is a strategic assault by the enemy upon an individual with the purpose of doing them harm, either in their spirit, their soul, their body, or a combination of the three. You say, pastor, really? Satan's after my body? Yeah. What do you think he's doing with people's diets? I could start naming some companies, but if I did that, I'd probably get sued because he's into that too, you know? But I mean, he's changing the landscape on how we eat, he's changing the landscape on how we take care of ourselves and what we're able to do. Because, because listen, I'm, I'm telling you very, very clearly, I used to struggle before God uh, healed me, I used to struggle with ulcers. And when I was sick for those 20 years, there were times where that physical attack, I truly believe the enemy had something to do with it, that physical attack, Brother Brent, would get me so emotionally worn out. Or that physical attack and constantly having that pressure of being sick would not only get me emotionally worn out, but I'd get depressed or anxious, or I'd start to feel that God wasn't answering me, didn't care about me. And all those emotions would bleed over into my spiritual walk. And it took an amazing amount of energy to fight that fight. Some of us are fighting that fight right now. He's attacking you emotionally. He's attacking you in your soul. He's attacking you in your spirit, in your walk, in your faith. Telling you you're not good enough. Or telling you that God has forgotten about you. Or that you're under God's judgment. I don't know what he's telling you. But you can be sure that if Satan's saying it, it's a lie. It's a flat out lie. And so we're talking about satanic attacks. You know what else he uses? He uses what I call and what the Apostle John called the one-two-three-punch combination. It's very effective. It's a jab, a right cross, and an uppercut or a hook. What is it? It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But watch the way John introduces this verse. Listen to what he says. He says, do not love the world. What is he talking about, the world? Because he mentions the world over and over. See if you can count how many times he says the world. Do not love the world, that's one, or the things of the world. Two, anyone, if anyone loves the world, three, the love of the Father is not in them. For all that is in the world, four, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the... And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of the Father will abide forever. How many times did he mention it? Six. Six is the number of what? Man. He mentioned the world six times, indicating to you, this is a serious problem for men, because it's about your flesh. You say, but the world, I thought God created the world. Well, that's one of the ways that God uses the word world, but that's not what he's talking about here, right? He's not talking about his creation, is he? Is he talking about the people? God says he created the world, right? God says he loved the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So he's not talking about the people, he's talking about a third concept, and that concept the connotation that he means by the word world is this, it's a system, it's a the number is six, worldly system, man system designed to rip you apart and destroy you. Have you ever thought when you look at history, anybody like history and you see the different kingdoms that have risen up from, from, uh, uh, from the Vikings to the, to, 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 I mean, Southeast Asian kingdoms and all these kingdoms, they were always just destroying each other. Do you notice that? It's like, what are we going to do today? We're going to attack our brothers over there. We're going to kill them. And, you know, it's like, there's got to be a better way. Or maybe it's because this whole worldly system is all about dog eat dog all about how much can I get? How much can I compete for? Wanting more, lusting after more. That's what he's talking about here. Look, number one, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And that's what it breeds, destruction. You say, pastor, are you sure? All I'm sure of is what the Bible says, and the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, read with me. We know that we are of God. This is the same author in the same small little book. There's five chapters. He just said in chapter two, do not love the world or the things of the world. He mentions the world six times. He says the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, right? Now he tells you who's in charge of the world. We belong to God, but this world lies under the what? In one version, it says control of the enemy under the power of the enemy, the wicked one. So if you stay with me on this, this satanic attack involves the enemy, the world, and the flesh. Three things. He's coming at you, himself, the world, the system, and then your flesh. Well, what do you you mean by the flesh? What do we mean by the flesh? Well, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5 verse 16, I say then... Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. How does he come at you with this worldly system trying to get you through the lust of the flesh? But how do you keep from falling? You walk in the spirit. Pastor, are you telling me that's exactly what I'm telling you? This is a spiritual thing that we are doing, a very spiritual thing. And too many times we are not aware enough of how spiritual this life truly is. Because we have a hard time perceiving what's happening in the spirit. We get so caught up on what we see, what we taste, what we feel, what we smell. I can't smell and see and touch and taste the spiritual. But God says his spirit is true, and when you walk by that spirit, that's what Ephesians is all about. Ephesians is saying, look, if you become a son of God, you've got all this richness available to you. And when you start walking in the spirit, the spirit is the one that's gonna help you overcome. You're gonna put off the old you. The old you was the flesh, what you used to want, but now you've been made alive in the spirit. And when you walk in the spirit, God will begin to draw near to you and strengthen you. But the enemy is going to try to come against you, for you battle not against flesh and blood, but against a spiritual foe. You face a spiritual foe. You say, are are you sure, pastor? Yes, and his desire is to blind your mind. Listen to what he says in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 4. Whose mind's the God of this age. Who is the God of this age? That's the enemy, Satan. The God of this age has blinded their minds. For what purpose? That they may not see the beauty of the gospel of the glory of Christ. They may not see the good news that there's a better way. If you cannot see a better way, you're just going to fumble around and he'd be more than happy to guide you to destruction. Say, man, pastor, this is is heavy. I told you the main purpose for this message today is to highlight this is a real thing. Because so many times we think, yeah, 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 there's a battle going on. And I understand that somehow I'm involved, but it, it really doesn't affect me on a day in, day out basis. Can I tell you it does affect you? Can I wake up some fathers and say, if you have children, it affects you. It affects every single part of your life. This is more real than this laptop. This fight is more real than the chair you're sitting on. The chair you're sitting on will pass away, but the results of the fight will live forever. You need to understand that. And so this is what God is saying he wants to deceive you why does he want to deceive you? because he wants you to think that it's just about stuff well doesn't the Bible say that like idols and all this thing it's, it's really just it's really just wood and stone Yes it does say that but it also says this rather that the things would which the Gentile sacrifice. What does that mean? When you live in the world, like people of the world, the things that you're doing have more meaning to it than you think. What does he say the meaning is? Go, go to the next verse, son. Oh, excuse me, Chuck, brother, he's older than me. <laughs> Rather the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons. You know what he's saying, Edgar? He's saying that when you're doing the things out in the world, when I'm doing the things out in the world, when we're doing the things out in the world, Josh, and we're living like the world, they're not just things. There's a demonic force behind them. That's what he's saying. There's a demonic force behind them. We're going to uncover this, this spiritual foe. Because the truth is, you may never see the enemy in your lifetime. Why? Because he can only be in one location at one time. And, and as far as I'm concerned, he probably has bigger fish to fry than me. Come on, am, am I right? Some of you are going, I'm a pretty big fish. You might show up. Well, You better gear up then, right? You better start reading. You better start getting... getting Getting honed up. But listen, for me, I, might, I may never see the enemy, but I will face one of his underlings, one of his delegates, one of his delegated authorities, one of the folks that he has in his system that will be assigned to this church, to the families in this church. We call those demons, but the truth is they're celestial, supernatural beings that the Bible talks a lot about. Go with me to the book of Job. Now, I'm going to set this up for you uh, real quick. The book of Job, what is the book of Job about? It's about a man. Somebody said, isn't it about getting a job? We can help you with that, but it's not in the book of Job. Somebody's like, man, I need a job. (laughs) I thought that's what, okay, no. Um, The book of Job is about a man named Job who found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, the enemy was cruising around the earth and he comes before the Lord, and the Lord said, where you been? He goes, I've been cruising. How many of you used to like to cruise? How many of you still like to cruise? I used to like to cruise, and I'd get in a lot of trouble. Cause, and, and I'd say, Dad, I'm not looking for trouble. Anyone ever say that to your dad? Dad, I'm not looking for trouble. Trouble finds me. And, and then he goes, no, no, son, this is the problem. When you're out where you're not supposed to be, with who you're not supposed to be with, doing what you're not supposed to be doing, at the hour you're not supposed to be doing what you're not supposed to be doing with, who you're not, then trouble's there and you actually find it. But if you are where you're supposed to be, come on, how many of you know that the devil's out cruising for those looking, looking for those that he may devour, the Bible says, that are out just where they're not supposed to be? And so the enemy will find you. And and he says, uh, God says to Job, hey, have you considered my servant? I mean, the enemy, God says to the enemy, let's get this right, to the devil, have you considered my servant Job? He says, yeah. But the reason he loves you is because you're so good to him. If you let me touch his life, if you let me touch his, his blessings, I promise you he'll sing a different story. How many of you know that God uses the enemy to serve his purpose? What the enemy meant for good, God will use for. What the enemy meant for evil, God will use for good. Y'all better start praying for me. He's trying to <laughs> tongue tie me here. What the enemy has meant for evil, God will use for good. Romans eight twenty eight says what? He works all things for the good of those who love him. So stay with me on this very very quickly. Job begins to be affected. And he's really starting to wonder what's going on. So he begins to ask God some questions. And here, God and him get into a discussion. So God says, where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou has understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof? If thou knowest, I'd sure would like you to tell me. Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations therefore fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? What God is saying, Job, you wanna talk to me like an equal. You're demanding answers, you're sitting there questioning me. So before we talk, let's see, are, are you on my level? Or do I still have to look down, little man? Are you still down on the earth, or can you reach the heavens with your understanding? Because if I started telling you all that I know, it would blow your come on now. it would blow your mind. You need to show me a little respect son. You're questioning me like we are on par. Like there's no difference between you and me. There is a world of difference. You, my thoughts are as high as the heavens, yours are. This is what's happening here. And so watch what he says in verse seven. When, were you there when the morning star, when the foundation of the earth was poured and when the morning stars sang together? Who are the morning stars? Well, listen to what it says. The sons of God that shouted for joy. Here's this term that the Old Testament uses, the sons of God. But you know who else was a morning star? Satan was a morning star. And, and Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from glory like lightning. Some of us think that it was a fight. There's no fight between God and Satan. There's no fight. God said, you're out. Cast him to the earth. Like a falling star. So, so, so this is what, what God is saying. Have you been there? But, but we take a clue from this. He calls them the sons of God. Can I take you to Psalms 82, where well, the Bible says God has taken his place in the divine council? Now, what's the divine council? You know what the divine council is? It's before his throne room where these sons of God, these celestial supernatural beings, come in. The Bible specifically says here, Elohim has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the Elohim. He holds judgment. Whoa, wait a minute. That's blasphemy. Elohim means God. No, Elohim, Elohim means supernatural, celestial being. So let me put it to you this way: God is a spirit but not all spirits are God. Is that true? Are there other spirits besides God? But they're not all God. So let me put it to you another way. God is an Elohim, a supernatural celestial being, but not all Elohim are God. Not all supernatural. See, what we need to understand that the Jewish writers, when they used the word Elohim, they meant supernatural, celestial being. They didn't mean Adonai or Yahweh, Jehovah. They just meant a supernatural being. So so what you're seeing here is, watch this, God takes his place among the sons of God or the little gods, the little Elohim. You go, whoa, 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 whoa. See, When God uses sons of God in the Old Testament, what he's literally saying is there are supernatural celestial beings that I created for my purpose. And you need to understand, they're there. What do we mean by that? In the Old Testament, you see him talking about these these beings that he created, angels, and we'll give a list of some of these right now in a minute. But he also means Adam- and Eve, why? Because they didn't have natural creation. They, I mean, or they, did, they, they weren't from, from natural birth. They were created by the hand of God. You say, but pastor, I think in the New Testament, we started to be called sons of God. You know why? To him or to them that believed, he gave the right to be called sons of God. Why? Because you may have been born by by natural means, but you were reborn by supernatural means. God had a hand in your recreation. So now you are a son of God. You say, Well, well wait a minute. Now keep reading this verse with me. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. So he is sitting there and he's judging, right? This divine counsel. Whoa. So some of the divine counsel is doing wrong because some of the divine counsel, I don't know how this all goes down, but it's a mystery But we do know there's more going on in the supernatural than we often think about. You know what else I know? I know that there's another clue in Deuteronomy 32. Go with me to Deuteronomy 32, verses 8 and 9. When the Most High assigned lands to the nations, when he divided up the human race, who is the Most High? This is Jehovah God. The the only true God, the one that has no creator, that has been from the beginning, when he assigned the lands to the nations, when he divided the human race, he established the boundaries of the people according to their number, or to the number of the heavenly court or the celestial council, the divine council. Whoa, 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 whoa. You mean a he has these sons of God, these celestial supernatural beings, and now he puts them in charge of the nation. Some think this happened at the Tower of Babel. I won't go into that because it's too much of a discussion, but we did not want to do what was right. As a human race, God said spread out, subdue the land, multiply, be fruitful. Instead, we gathered and they began to build a ziggurat or some kind of, uh, some kind of gateway or, or, or stargate. We don't know what they were up to, but we know it was completely against what God had commanded. So God comes down and some say that build, this verse is in that context, that he begins to spread things out. We also know that in the book of Daniel, this is also reinforced. Do you remember when Daniel is praying to the Lord for clarification of these visions that he's getting and these prophecies that he's getting, and the angel of the Lord comes to Daniel and says, I left the day you started praying for me. I left, I'm a messenger. An angel means messenger of God. So I need you to understand something. Not all messengers are equal, are they? Brother Chuck works for UPS. He would say there's a step above the rest in terms of that messenger compared to, if you work for for FedEx or whatever, you might say, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, we're, and so not all messengers are equal. You say, well, pastor, I could be a messenger. In fact, it wouldn't be totally out of the question to call me an angel if I'm delivering a message from God. That's all it means. It describes what you do, not who you are. What do I mean by that? There could be different levels of messengers. And we tend to put them all on the same plane, but that's not true. That's not necessarily true. So you say, well, 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 okay, so the angel comes to Daniel and he says, I left the day you, 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 you prayed for me, but the prince of who? The prince of Persia detained me. And I had to call for who? I had to call on the archangel Michael to come and help. So you have this territory assigned to a particular demonic fallen angel. That's the prince of Persia over the Persian people and those boundaries. Now he was expanding his boundaries. We also know in the book of Daniel chapter two, that God specifically says, I don't care what celestial being is over what, at the end of the day, it's my word that commands. I raise up leaders and I sit them down. I do this when I want to. And he tells King Nebuchadnezzar, he says, you will know that I am the most high, and the most high rules over the kingdoms of men, and he does with them what he wishes for as long as he wishes, how he wishes, and I don't have to consult anyone. Because at the end of the day, I don't know all about this divine counsel, but I know there's something bigger than me happening. And I know one thing, he sits in the mist on the throne. And so I may not need to know what the future holds. I may not know what the future holds, but I know who holds my future. and that's, And that's Jehovah, Jehovah. But there is something going on because This same angel says, now I need to go and fight against the prince of Greece. You say, are you serious? Drop with me to that same chapter in Deuteronomy 32. I'm going to read verse 17. No, let's go back up. Let's go back up. Verse verse 8. When the Most High assigned the lands to the nations, when he divided up the human race, he established the boundary to the people according to the number in the heavenly, what? Court. For the people of Israel belong to the The people of Israel belong to the Lord. Lord. Do you get what's happening? I need you to understand this. This is huge. This is big. I'll tell you how big it is. Every other nation has a celestial being assigned. Many believe that it's not a good celestial being. Israel, God says, I'm in charge of Israel. He said, salvation is to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. If you have accepted Christ, now you are a part of Israel. And who's over you? God Almighty is over you. God Almighty himself is over you. He's fighting for you. But the enemy still wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He tried to do that to Israel constantly. We'll turn to verse 17 now. They offered sacrifices to demons which are not God. Remember Paul said, when you offer sacrifices or you get distracted by the idols of this world, when you pay homage or you give your heart to it, you are all, you're not just, you're not just honoring a thing, you're honoring a demon behind that thing. Here's the same concept. And you know what the word demon means in the in the in the Hebrew? The word demon literally means a geographical ruler. Something that has been assigned. You go, but, but why would God do this? Do you remember that God is a God of order? If he didn't establish order, and he let Satan do whatever the heck he wanted, none of us would be here. You say, but then why does he allow him to do, why does he allow him to, to be a part of this? What is God up to? If you start asking too many of those questions, God is gonna say, gird up your loins, Job. Stand before me. But before I answer your question, let me you answer my questions and see if you can look me in the eye and tell me how I've done this and what I did this and what was the beginning and what. So you got to be careful how many questions you ask and with the pride in which you do it. See, what I do know by reading Job's story is that Satan helped Job give God more glory. How so? God wants to bless Job, doesn't he? But God notices a little pride in Job's heart. And without telling Satan, he uses Satan to expose it and to help Job be better. Did you know that? You say, how do you get that from Job? Watch this. Job keeps telling all his friends, I haven't done anything. I haven't done anything. If you haven't done anything, then what he's saying is what? I'm, I am what? Perfect. Perfect. If he is perfect, then God is judging him unjustly or treating him unjustly. So if, if Job is perfect, then who is not perfect? God. Nobody picks up on this except the youngest guy in the whole bunch comes to him at the end of the book and says, who are you to judge God? Who are you to impute his righteousness? Who are you to say that you're perfect and that he mistreats you? you know what you are? You are proud. And he exposes the... It's like God was saying, I see something, but he doesn't tell Satan what he sees. And he uses Satan to make Job better. Can I tell you, God is using what the enemy is doing on this earth to make you better, to give you an opportunity to stand in faith to believe him at his word, to grow closer in faith, to build spiritual muscles, to have more confidence, that when he comes against you, you can say, my God has already told me, no weapon formed against me can prosper. If God be for me, who can be against me? Greater is he who is within me than he who is in the world. I know that you love me, Lord. You love me with everlasting love. You love me like you have loved Israel. And if you were for Israel, you will be for me, God, because I am grafted in and I am part of the family of God. And I believed in your name. And to those who believe, you gave the right, so I have the right to call you Father. So Father, I know one thing, that I've seen a lot of things in this earth, but the one thing I've never seen is you be a bad father. So you will care for me. You will provide for me. You will, come on now. And let the enemy rage. Let him roar. Let him do what he wants to do. God, I will build my faith even stronger by your grace. By your grace. See, I've said it many times, and this is one of my favorite concepts from from the great theologian Francis Schaeffer. He said, heaven will have many things, streets of gold, pearly gates, and crystal seas. The one thing it will not have, and that is our privilege here on earth alone, is the opportunity and privilege to respond to our God in faith. In faith! Right now, we get that privilege. Why? Because the enemy tries to uh, cloud, and blind, and lie, and we get a chance to say, I don't care what you're doing, enemy, I I still believe. I believe in my heart that my God is true. That's what this is about. And I'm trying to highlight for you, this is a real thing that we're dealing with. And so many times we walk through life not understanding what's happening. You want to know how much God loves you and how He fights for you? I've got ten minutes to unpack this, this next part, and that is Jesus Christ Himself alludes to these Psalms in these places we've been reading. In John ten, Jesus has a t- or he gets into an argument with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time. Listen to the way the conversation goes. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones to stone him, and Jesus answered them and said, All I have shown you are the miracles and good works from the Father. For which one of those miracles are you going to stone me? They're all good things he was doing, right? Which one? They said, We're not stoning you for those good things. We're stoning you for the blasphemy. Blasphemy. What's the blasphemy? He claimed to be God. He claimed to be like God. He claimed to have him and the Father to be one. That's why they're blas- so. So watch what Jesus says. And Jesus answered them, verse 34, it is not written, is it not written in your law? I said to you, you are gods. You go, where, where did he say that? That same Psalms 82. He goes on to say, well, I'll read it to you. Can you find that verse? It's right above it. Rescue the weak. So he's, he stands in the midst of the gods and he begins to judge. And he says, you've been doing wrong to the nations of the earth. This is where it continues. Verse 4, you need to rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the world or the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. That's prophetic. All of that is prophetic. But, but this is what I need you to understand. Jesus is quoting that. So why is he quoting that to the Pharisees or to the religious leaders? He's trying to tell him, you know the tradition. You know that there are supernatural celestial beings, and now I'm speaking to you supernaturally, and you're getting ticked. Some of us get ticked when we talk supernaturally. Why? I would rather it be right here where I can see it, up plain. I'm sorry. This is God's word. And can I tell you something? You'll be better if you don't ignore God's word. You'll be better. So this is what God, Jesus is saying. I'm going to speak to you supernaturally because at the end of the day, what I came to do is not just a physical deliverance. It's a supernatural thing. And I came to give birth supernaturally to sons of God in the supernatural. Why? Because you will still die in your flesh, but you will forever live in your spirit. And God will give you a supernatural body at his second coming. And that's his promise. Now watch this. So Jesus says to them, is it not written that I said you were gods? If you called them gods, to whom the word of the Lord came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? So God is saying, you accept that, spiritual, that supernatural fact, but you won't, ex- you won't accept me as the Son of God? Then he goes on to say this. He goes on to say, watch this. Me and the Father are one, And then he says, understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. You say, but wait a minute. He's quoting out of Psalms 82, but he specifically said, do you not know your law? This is what Jesus said. I'm talking about the law, but I'm also going to quote from you a passage out of the Psalm. The Psalm is not the law. A passage that you're very familiar with where we talk, where God talks about supernatural beings. And I'm going to remind you that you accept that and that it does have a place in the law, but you're going to have to search for it in the law. So I went and searched for it in the law. And watch what you find in Exodus 23. Exodus 23, verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you. To keep you in the way and to bring you into a place which I have prepared for you. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him. For he will not pardon your transgressions. Who's the only one that can pardon? God. So this is no ordinary angel. Notice how the author capitalizes him and his. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him. For he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. This is the same hearkening back. What did Jesus say? I'm talking supernaturally now. Jesus is saying, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Didn't your law say this? Well, here it's saying it in the law. Jesus is an angel. You go, wait a minute. Jesus is not an angel. Stop thinking like a Westerner. Jesus is a messenger. What did he came to come to tell you? That God loves you enough that he sent me. In the f- I am God in the flesh, the son of God. I'm going to hang on the cross and the gospel message is the ultimate message. The ultimate message. Now watch. He says, "His name is in me, but indeed obey his voice." And he goes on. Right? Now, w- wait a minute. Wait a minute, Pastor. In Deuteronomy, it says that God saved Israel. Here it's saying that this messenger saves Israel. But in Deuteronomy, it says this the Lord Himself is God, none other besides Him. Out of heaven, He let you hear His voice that He might instruct you. On earth, He showed you His great fire. And you heard his words out of the midst of the fire, or more specifically, the cloud of smoke. And listen to what he says down at the end. He brought you out of Israel with his presence. You could feel the presence of the Spirit of God, and you could hear his voice from heaven. So is it the presence? Is it the voice in heaven? Is it the messenger? He is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three in one. So it's all three that led Israel out. Why? Because the king of glory is over Israel. Is over Israel. Now Now watch this. In Judges chapter 2 verse 1, Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilead to Bachem and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to a land for which I swore to your forefathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. Here's that angel again. You say, okay, okay, okay. You got me curious. There's a lot of talk about angels. How many times does the Bible reference angels, messengers, celestial messengers from God? Now, I'm not talking about just prophets now, human beings. I'm talking about supernatural beings. The Bible references angels more than 300 times. And over 90% of the books reference angels. 90% of the books. You want to know something else? The Bible uses language of the stars. When he talks about celestial hosts and stars and uh, constellations, and t- many times it's talking about angels. And the, what I mean by the angels, when I say the word angels, let me be more specific. Celestial, supernatural beings. Like I'll give you an example. In Revelations chapter 12, the Bible talks about the fight that took place in heaven. God kicked him out, Satan out, but he tried to take a third of, of the angelic host we call them, with him, the messengers of God, and he did, and they're here, and many believe they're over the worldly system that we talked about, and they influence, and they do their thing, So you say, well, pastor, what what should I do then? You should understand why God created you. He created you because he wanted a family here on this earth, and he wanted to show Satan, listen to me very closely, that he could do more with less when less was submitted to him than more could do without him. So who is the less? That's us. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, what is man that you are mindful of him or the sons of man that you would take care of him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You made him a little lower than the angels, but yet you are going to put us above angels in the sense that we will judge angels someday, that everything will be under our feet. You say, but it's not there yet. It's not there yet until you take your rightful place in Jesus Christ and understand what he's called you to do here on earth and what he will establish after this chapter closes and he he establishes his earthly kingdom. You say, pastor, don't get confused, okay? We have an assignment right now. What is our assignment? That's to establish The kingdom, the supernatural kingdom of God that is influencing and has invaded the kingdom of darkness. How do we do it? We rely on God. We have him in us and working through us. We understand our rightful place that we are not in any way able to go into the second heaven and start attacking and doing this and this and that, then what are we called to do? Well, remember the Tower of Babel? What did God ask him to do? Go throughout the earth, multiply, subdue it. Take dominion. What does God ask us to do as his spiritual children? Go throughout the earth and make spiritual children. How? Share the gospel message. Bring people out of darkness into light. Share the message that the angel of God, the angel of Israel, the God of Israel came to share with the world that he is love. Say, man, Pastor, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. Well, this is how we finish. I'm gonna ask our prayer partners to come up. I need you to understand Satan's objective in your life. We will talk more about this next week. I wanted to highlight for you the significance of this spiritual battle that sometimes we are never aware of. Why? Because if you're aware of it, then you realize how much more important it is. And you can get in there, guys. I heard a pastor in my research, preach a similar topic, or they were preaching on the topic of spiritual warfare and they said the enemy is alive and well. In most churches today, men are doing exactly what Adam was doing. What was Adam doing? Well, the Bible says that Adam was given dominion over that garden and he was in the garden to be the head and while the enemy came and started tempting Eve, he just sat there. Now, I don't know if he was sitting there, maybe he got involved and he was working. A lot of us get involved and we just work and we don't know what's happening at home. That's spiritual warfare. Some of us work so hard that then we go and we just check out. I don't, I, I don't care. Eve can do what she wants to do. I, I need my downtime. That's spiritual warfare. Or you know what? I, I just want to, I don't care what's on. I just want to know what's on the next channel. And, and we sit there and we surf and we get in and, and you're saying, pastor, you're beating me up. I'm not beating you up. I'm trying to help you understand the significance. And you know why? I know it's working because our church is not like most churches. That pastor said in most churches, 60 to 70% of the people doing the work are women. I'm like, yeah, that's not our church. Our church, we got men doing some work, not, not exclusively because we use women too. But the truth is, I don't want any atoms just sitting there while Satan is doing his thing in the earth, doing his thing in the garden, undoing the family, and lying and cheating, and, 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 and we don't ever speak up and say, whoa, wait a minute, that's not what God said. See, a spiritual warrior understands who you are, understands that the God of Israel fights for you because now you are part of Israel. You have been grafted in by the blood of Jesus Christ, and you have been reborn as a son of God. And the mighty God lives within you. So we need to start praying spiritual prayers for our children, men and ladies. We need to start praying spiritual prayers for our household and our families and understand that the stuff that we surround ourselves with doesn't amount to a hill of beans. It's about the spiritual thing that God has called us to do. And Satan knows that. And he might think, I guarantee you he's thinking about me. I may not be able to shut this dude up in this generation, but I'm hoping I can get his children. I, I guarantee you that's what he's thinking. That big mouth pastor, let, let, let him preach, let him do whatever, start working on the kids. Start working on their families. See if we can split them up. Start, come on now. Is anybody guarding up themselves in the spirit? Saying, man, I had no idea all this was going on in the heavenlies. I had no idea that there's territorial spirits. I had no idea that the enemy has has demonic forces assigned to churches, and we have angelic forces assigned to churches. And then when we pray, the Bible says, when one person prays, a thousand go to flight. What does that mean? I don't know what it means, but I do know this. I don't know all that it means. Some of it is still a mystery. What I'm trying to tell you is this, that it tells me that when my wife and I join in agreement and we pray together, One of the greatest things the enemy knows is that there is power when two people come together and pray. A husband and wife start to pray for some stuff, things start to move in the heavenly realm. Things start to move in the heavenly realm. Why do you think he wants you against each other? Why do you think he wants you warring with each other? Why do you think he wants you not being able to stand each other? Because he knows that when two come together in prayer, they touch and agree. And I truly believe he's talking, yes, about spiritual brothers, what you do up here. But he's mainly talking about this beautiful supernatural thing that takes place when a couple joins in one, they become one. Okay, this is where we finish. Pray like this this week. And we'll talk more about the spiritual fight next week. I love y'all, church. I love you with all my heart.